welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 3rd of January 2016, entitled Great Power for the Year Ahead. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 18. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. The Gospel of Luke chapter 7, I'd like to read the first 18 verses of that chapter. I invite you to stand with us this morning in honor of the reading of the precious and holy Word of God. Again, from Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. This, of course, now when he had ended all his sayings, this is just following uh, the scriptures that we know as the Beatitudes when Jesus Christ himself had given those Beatitudes. And it says, now... When he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, that he was worthy of whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. They that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. It came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Then when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, and they, they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. When he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen from among us, and that God hath visited his people And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. The disciples of John showed him of all these things. Father, as we look into this passage of Scripture this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, give to us today that which we need which would make a difference in our lives. Lord, we have not the, the wisdom nor the ability to do or say anything here today that would make any eternal consequence on anyone's life. But Lord, we pray not for what man would say, but we pray 
that, Lord, in this unworthy servant that you would see fit by your grace and through the power of your Spirit to speak to our hearts today. Lord, as you see the hearts of everyone that is gathered here today, Lord, we know that you know the needs better than anyone. We pray, Lord, that you would take and meet those needs, whether it's the lost that needs to be saved, the backslider that needs to be restored, the Christian that needs to be encouraged or challenged into that which you have for the year ahead. Lord, you know all. and We pray that you would do a work, that you alone would see the glory and the honor for it. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. A new year has begun. Many times we think of it as a time that we make new resolutions, new resolve in our life to do or accomplish things that we have not done before. I think many times we'd be better off to identify it as a time of broken resolutions than of resolutions, though. The problem is, is that most of our resolutions are made within ourselves, for ourselves, for really just fleshly gain. Resolutions. I like the old hymn writer that says, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. It's good to have resolve in life, but we must realize that so many times, whatever we're resolving to do, if it just depends upon me, then we're going to have a tough time seeing it fulfilled. What lies ahead for you in the year ahead? I have no idea, but I know one that does. I know one that knows everything that will happen in your life, everything that you'll face in life, all the things that will come against you, all the things that will be accomplished. He knows it all. What powers will be at work around you, both from the outside and from the inside? Because there are many things that influence our lives. Some of these things are beyond our control completely, and yet they come into our lives and they hold great power over us. We read here just after Jesus had finished his beautiful sermon that we call the Beatitudes, we find here that he performs two miracles. In the first part, these first 10 verses or so that we read in that chapter there, we find that there is this one that is near to death. We find that there is this centurion, this person of authority, this person that has many soldiers that are under his authority and his control. We find that there's a servant in his household that's very sick, near to death. So Jesus is sent for. Ironically, those that go to Jesus say, hey, look, this one that has this need, he is a worthy person. He's done much for our country. He's done much for us. He's even built us a, a synagogue and everything. Much has been done. But yet the one that was asking for the help said, I'm not worthy to even ask you to come under my roof. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, I know that all it needs is a word from you. And this servant will be healed. Jesus told all those that were there that day, in all of Israel, I've never seen such faith. Why, this man uses his own life as an illustration, a position of authority. He says, when I tell people to do something, they do it. 
If I say come, they come. If I say go, they go. If I say do it, they do it. And what he's saying is even in his own authority, there's certain things that he has control over and he has no doubt that all that Jesus Christ has to do is say for this to be done and it will be done. It will be accomplished. Jesus says, wow, the faith of this man to believe. We talk about faith so many times because without faith, we have no hope. The one thing that Satan will want to destroy in everyone is their faith. The faith that they need to just believe that a God loved them so much that he's paid the price for their sin, that he's done everything necessary to keep their sin from killing them for eternity. To believe that Jesus Christ came and accomplished what no man could accomplish. You see, if the devil can keep you from believing that, he doesn't really have to worry about anything else because he's got you for eternity. And as a Christian, I can assure you, Satan wants you to be one of those that Jesus also rebuked in another place, O ye of little faith. And this was some of those that were walking close to him, those that were seeing all the things that Jesus was doing, and yet there was a lack of faith sometimes. How we deal with the things that come our way in the year ahead, how we deal with those things is going to depend greatly above all else on our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, as we read through scriptures, I guess that, you know, sometimes sickness and problems get us down. But, you know, even the Bible says that the last enemy is that one called death. The last enemy that will be overcome is that one called death. When it will no longer have any authority over you. We find three examples in Scripture, three examples of Jesus actually raising someone that was dead back to life. It's recorded for us. Of course, probably the most familiar is that of Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead four days. They said his body's already going to begin to stink. But Jesus spoke those words we see right here, arise. And Lazarus arose. He just had to speak the word, and it was done. We find the recording of Jairus' daughter, who had just died when Jesus raised her from the dead. And we find this case here of this one, we don't know for sure, but it had at least been a day or so, probably about a day, because they tended to bury very quickly in their customs, and the actual funeral is taking place here. See, Lazarus had already been buried and put in the tomb. Jairus' daughter had just died. No funeral arrangements had gotten made yet. But here, this widow's son, he died. The funeral was actually in progress. Now, just notice the scene for a moment. Jesus has been to Capernaum. Here he is going into the city of, of, of Nain. And on his way into the city, he just comes across this funeral possession. We find that this widow lady, so she had no husband left, 
This was her only son. And now she had lost this, her only son, and they were on their way to the cemetery to bury him. We find that it's kind of interesting that as Jesus comes upon them here, this woman is obviously in in great pain because of what has taken place, but Jesus looks at her, and the Bible says he has compassion on her. And he says two words to her. Don't weep. Don't weep. Now, as I was reading that, I tried to put myself in that position. I'm trying to think, okay, here's a mother that's already lost her husband. She has no other children, and now he's died. Obviously, a young man, that's what Jesus calls him as he comes forth. We don't know his exact age. It's not the natural order of things for parents to have to bury their children. Now, here she is. She has no one else left in the world, and her son is on the way to there. Jesus sees her, and he says, don't weep. Now, my first thought is, well, you know, that would be pretty ludicrous of any of us. <laughs> Who would tell somebody not to cry in a situation like that? Why wouldn't she cry? Why wouldn't she with all the pain that she would be? But see, Jesus knew, already knew what was laying beyond that. She had no reason to cry. She didn't realize that this was already in Jesus' hand. Jesus had it. Jesus had it taken care of. She may have been thinking, well, why shouldn't I cry? Or maybe I can't help but cry. But Jesus stopped the procession. And he stopped the procession. He spoke those words, young man, I say unto thee, arise. He rose up and he began to talk. And there's a lot of things we could say there, but one thing that I find very, very, very interesting. (laughs) When this happened, and this young man arose and began to talk, the Bible said the first thing we see is fear on all those around. Whoa, what is happening here? What is going on? said in verse 16, there came a fear on all. But out of that fear, what does it say they do? And they glorify God, saying, what a great prophet is risen among us, and that God hath visited his people. They knew that God had done a work amongst them. Now, there's a few things that I notice here because, as we said earlier, I don't know what powers will be at work in your life from within and from without in the year ahead. But I see just a few things that I want to mention to you on this, the first Sunday of the new year. Some powers at work here. And I simply call it great powers at work for the year ahead. I don't know all the powers that will work in your life. But I want to show you some here because I assure you there will be things that will be affecting your life, that will have influence on your life, some of them under your control and some of them beyond your control. And surely, first of all, one of the great powers that we see here is the power of death. The power of death. I have absolutely no doubt that in this congregation this morning, some of us, if not all of us, will have dealings with death sometime during the course of this year ahead. 
Now we can say many things, but just keep in mind a few simple truths. Death is the result of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's not hard to understand. You don't need a theological degree. You don't need any kind of a degree. You need to believe God. The wages of sin is death. How do we see it evidence? We go right back to the Garden of Eden. We see this first man and this first woman when they disobeyed God. And the Bible says when sin entered in, death came with it. You can't have sin without having death. It's a result of it. And you see, this is one of the reasons that in your life there's an awful lot of things that Satan could do. But one of the things that Satan uses most is just simply this thing called temptation. He'll tempt you from all kinds of courses. He'll tempt you to do this or not to do that, to go here or not to go there. All kinds of temptations come along in life. But he has a, a reason. He has a purpose behind what he's doing. And that is to get you to sin. Because he knows that the wages of sin is death. He came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for you. You realize, you understand that. If you don't believe anything that I say this morning, understand you have an arch enemy that wants to destroy your life now and for eternity. I wish I could explain to you all that I, a little bit that I know about eternity, heaven and hell and all these different things, but even if I told you everything that I knew, wouldn't even begin to touch and grasp eternity. There are two destinations, one with sin, one without sin. Why can we have life everlasting? Because it's the place where there's no sin. Sin has been put down. Sin has been done away. Sin is what destroyed God's creation. Sin is what brings death. The other place is where all of sin will be and all of the consequences. How can we imagine the beauty on the one hand of one place that has not the curse of sin, that knows no sin, and yet the awfulness of another place that has all the consequences of sin bound up in one place. Satan tempts you to bring death, the power of death. Three little things about the power of death. One of, first of all, the power of death is universal. It's everywhere. You can't immigrate to another country and get away from it. You might immigrate to another country. You might get away from family. You might get away from problems. You might get away from all kinds of things, but you will not outrun death. I promise you that wherever you go in this world, death will be present. Death will be there. The Bible says it very simply this way. It is appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment, death that ends our life here, and then the next step is facing God. You know, that's not hard to understand. Do we want to deny that death is there? Do we just simply understand where death comes from and who wants death for us? Death is everywhere. Death is universal. Death is also unbiased. <laughs> it really doesn't care. This young man here lived in Nain, the name Nain originally meant lovely, so somebody thought this was a lovely place to live. They even called the city that, where it was at. And yet all the loveliness of that place could not hold back 
the hand, the power of death on this young man. It didn't matter that he was young. You see, it's totally unbiased whether you're old or young. I tried to think sometime back, what? Because in, in, in my life, I've had to face death a lot. You know, one of the hardest things that any minister, any pastor has to do is preach funerals. Say goodbye to people when they've left this world because you know those people are hurting so much and you want to do something to help them. It's much easier when you know that that person that has died here physically, it's much easier when you know that they knew Christ. Whatever their life did or didn't accomplish down here, did they know Christ? But you know, one of the amazing things, I've tried to sit and think, well, what is the hardest funeral that you ever tried to speak at? And I guess one might be my own dad's. My dad, again, death is unbiased, young or old. My dad was only 53 years old when he left this world. I couldn't understand that. He loved God. He spent his life preaching God's word. You know, he, he just, I've met few people in my life that had more compassion and love for other people. It didn't matter how much they'd messed up or what they'd done. He wanted to be there for them. You know, I, I found that tough. That was a tough funeral to speak at. My grandparents, at least two of my grandparents, I had the privilege of speaking at their, their funerals. That was tough because there's so much love there. There's so much caring. And, and most of those people that you see, just like, see, when Jesus here, he was hurting for this woman because she was hurting. He had compassion upon her. We find that we think back, and I've, I've done funerals for little tiny babies that had just entered this world, and nobody could understand why have they left this world so suddenly for young children, you know, five, six, seven years old, and yet some horrible accident occurs that we see, and that child is gone from the face of this earth. All ages, all backgrounds, all different types of deaths that have brought them to that point that they're there with no more life. But you know, in all of that, I think, you know, that I don't think that God expects us to go through death without pain. But we need to understand it. It's painful when we lose someone. But as painful as it was, it's nowhere near as painful when I stand behind the coffin of my own dad or my own grandparent or some relative, some child, when I know that at least they're prepared to meet God. Undoubtedly, the hardest funerals I've ever had to speak at, sometimes whether I knew them or not, was when I had no assurance whatsoever. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. When they face God, and you know the hardest thing about that for me a lot of times, if it's somebody that you know at all, boy, did I take every opportunity? Did they see enough of Jesus in my life? I've shared with many of you many times that I honestly, genuinely had to come to believe in my own life, whether everybody else in the whole world thought it was foolish or not, that if I spent my whole life preaching this book, no matter how bad or how good or how I did the job, that if God by his grace called me to do it, and if my whole life, what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and 
lose his own soul. If it keeps one person from having to stay dead eternally, then I believe with everything that's in me that my life has been worth more and accomplished more than all I could have ever done in that business world. One person, one individual, not because you can do it or I can do it, but because the crisis within us, death. We will all face death. We need to realize we're not going to get away from it. It's universal. It's everywhere. It's unbiased. It doesn't matter the age. It doesn't matter the circumstances. Death comes to everyone. We also find that it's unique and mysterious. <laughs> you can't understand it. <laughs> you can't understand why it hits here and it doesn't hit there. I can look at people. I can, I can, I can think of people right here in this city <laughs> where that there's some people that I, I think of, of Sister Leinster. I had the privilege of working with Brother Leinster at Bloomsbury and Neitchell's before coming to this church. And, you know, even then, she had all these heart problems. This was over 25 years ago. You know, it wouldn't have surprised anybody for her to leave this world. Brother Leinster was a picture of health even in his old age. Today, he's in glory with God, and she's still living at 90-some years old <laughs> with all those heart problems that people thought was going to kill her. Many of us, we've had for many years, Brother Richard Rawls come here and, and minister to us and preach to us. And I've met very few people that were more careful about their health and, and what they ate and all the, the natural things they wanted. He was a careful man about it. His wife had faced death several times. And he had, a you know, this, I guess, fear I don't know any other way to explain of losing his wife because of the things that she was having to face. And yet, Sister Rawls is still going on strong for the Lord. Brother, Brother Rawls in his early 70s went to be with the Lord. What do you say? Preach. We can't know where it's coming, who it's going to hit. Sometimes it's the people that we least expected to hit are the ones that go and vice versa. The ones we expected to hit, they're still living on. What are you saying? I'm saying that you can't control it and I can't control it. We can't even figure out who it's going to visit next and who it's not. But one power that we face in this life is death, and that's what we see being faced here by this family in this account that we read from the Gospel of Luke. But you see, right there in that same account, this power of death, I see something else that I believe could probably, arguably be argued as possibly the greatest power in all the world. You say, well, surely the greatest power in all the world is God. Yes, but even the Bible says that God is love. God is love. I see this mother weeping. Why? Because she loved her son so much. She didn't want to be separated from him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Scientists seem to progress or digress, whichever way you want to look at it, but they can build bigger and bigger and bigger and more destructive bombs all the time. 
We live in a world where it's not just the nations that have bombs now, but when we have to worry about this group and that group and this person that's disgruntled and that group that's disgruntled sending off bombs and blowing all these people up, man, it is great destruction. He can build such great things. But I'm saying to you that none of it compares to the power of love. It cannot compare. We find that I look back in my simple life and I see people that people that have just had awful lives, people that sometimes were the most evil of people, that didn't care for anybody, and yet they come into contact with the love of God and their lives are changed. They are a different people. The Bible talks about it being a new creation. Old things being passed away and all things becoming new. A new creation. Not just patching up and fixing up, but creating anew. You see, it's love that will lighten the burdens. You'll have some burdens in the year ahead. There is no doubt. Some things are going to be tough to carry. Sometimes that job is just so hard and sometimes that person you're working for, they're just... Boy, they're just impossible. You know what? Maybe it's that wife at home or that child at home. It's that love that you take your responsibility seriously because you can't just walk away because you love too much to give up. It's love that is the underlying power. The Bible speaks about faith, and we've talked already about how great that faith is. Without faith, nobody can see God. Nobody can know God. Nobody can please God. Hope. Wow, what would life be without hope? Faith, hope, charity. That agape love that we've talked about several times recently The greatest of these, the Bible says, is love. The greatest is that God love, that giving love, that sacrificial love, that that undeserved love that doesn't look for a reason to love, but loves in spite of all the reasons not to. Truly, genuinely, unconditional love. That's God's love, and that's the kind of love that he wants us to have one for another. The power of death is strong, it's fearful, it's awesome for a lot of people. And it comes to all and it it seeks people out and we don't know where it's coming from, but I want you to know that despite that power of death that may somehow intersect your life in the year ahead, that the power of love is there. The power of God's love on your life and it's that love that he wants you to love others with, that same kind of love. We find that it's that love that really leads to the next power that I see here in this passage, and that's the power of compassion, the power of caring, if you would, the power of love in action. I'm not talking about crocodile tears that are whipped up because that they need to be. I'm talking about as a result of genuinely loving that inside 
There's a hurt, there's a pain, there's an agony because of others that you see hurting. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, the Word of God says this, For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew him? Why did he do that? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. He did it because he was jealous because his brother was actually more pleasing to God than he was. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. The power of death is real, but the power of God's love is even more real. It's the power of God's love that can rescue you from death, not just now, but for eternity. The Bible says that it's that kind of love, that if we don't love, that we, we know you see, we can't do enough good to be saved. But if we've truly been rescued by God, one way that we know that is because we evidence it and we see it in people's lives. He says, because we have passed from death unto life. We love the brethren. We don't love people in order to pass from death unto life. If you pass from death unto life, there will be a love there, God's love that wasn't present within you before. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You can't be one that takes life and have eternal life. <coughs> Hereby perceive we the love of God. How do you know the love of God? How do you see it? Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, this is God's commandment, that you believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. You can't get around it. There are many powers you'll face. One is the power of death, but another is the power of love. And you know, no matter what you do, God loved you. 
He showed you that he loved you. He died on a cross to show you that he loved you. Now, it's just like in this life, you can accept that and receive that, or you can reject it and shun it, but he loves you. That is a power that is beyond all that will change your life for eternity. But you see, that power, the power of God's love in our lives will change us. The other power here we see is the power of compassion, the power of love acting through our hearts, the power of love. He says, there's two things I command of you, and that's that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that you love one another, that you God love, that you agape love, that you sacrificially love, that you give, that you don't worry about what you're getting, worrying about what you're giving for others. Much could be said there, but time won't allow. I want to read you one of the passage in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 20. And here, the Apostle Paul is writing, or here Luke is writing about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus. And notice the words that he speaks to these elders. In Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves to the spiritual leaders, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul is saying to the leaders, look, feed the flock, Take care of the flock. Jesus Christ died and gave his blood for the flock. And I know, I know that those grievous wolves, I know Satan's going to be attacking. I know there'll be a lot of hard things coming against them. I know that they'll come in. He also says, also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Hey, they're not only going to just try to destroy the flock, they're going to try to destroy the preacher as well. They want to destroy it all. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, look, I love you. And my love is genuine. And there might be a lot of bad things that you're going to have to face. But don't forget. Take care of each other. Pray for each other. Don't. I spent three years on my face praying and crying because I cared so much for you. Power of compassion. You see, this mother, she was broken because of the love for her son. But the Bible says when Jesus saw her, when he saw those tears, and they weren't crocodile tears, Brother Romani. They were tears from her heart because she loved that son so much. That brought action. Jesus had compassion upon her. Jesus cared about her. The power of compassion, Christ's compassion for you and his compassion through you for those around you. If Christ is alive in you, he's saying here, look, I don't want to hear a bunch of words about how you love and love, and I want to see some action. I want to see it in truth. I want to see it in your deeds. Don't tell me that you love somebody, and yet you close up your bowels of compassion towards them. 
Doesn't work that way. The power of death, the power of love, the power of compassion, and hand in hand with all of this, the power of prayer. <laughs> Folks, I call people sometimes because sometimes it's important, sometimes it's not so important. Sometimes I just want to talk, sometimes I really need to, but you know, it's frustrating when I dial that number and all of a sudden beep, 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 they're busy. <laughs> Can't talk to, or especially with my kids, where they, <laughs> I call them up and it rings 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 and nobody answers. Man, I'm wanting to talk to them because there's something that's urgent for me that I, you know, it might just be to tell them I love them. I don't know, but you know, it's frustrating when you're trying to get through to somebody and they're either busy, they can't talk to you right now. But you see, God's never busy. You never get a busy signal. You never call up and don't get an answer. The power of prayer. You see, we find that in this first account that we see of this one that was near death, isn't that really what this centurion was doing, Brother Steve? He, was, he didn't feel worthy. He wasn't worthy. He didn't feel he was worthy to even have Jesus under his roof. But he had the faith to call upon Jesus for the help that he needed. We find in the second one that again, it's the power of the word of God. The power that Jesus speaks forth says, arise and come forth. And this young man comes forth. I don't know what all you'll face. You probably will face the power of death just as we read about here. But I want you to know about the power of love. God's love for you and your love for others. The power of compassion of how much God really cares about you and how much more that by God's love working through you that you'll care about those around you. Not to make you a better Christian because Christ lives in you because it's the natural fruit that comes forth. The power of prayer. No matter how alone you may feel, no matter how hopeless that it might be, I don't have time to comment on these, but just listen to a couple of verses. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 33, 3, as he records God's word, God says, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I promise you. It brought fear to the people when they saw what Jesus did there. Folks, sometimes you may not understand what God's doing. Sometimes it may make you stand back in awe or amazement or even fear of what's going on. God said, call on him. He will answer you. And he'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know or that you can't even imagine Matthew 7, 7, asking it shall be given you, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 7, 11, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? John 14, 14, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Matthew 18, 19, again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Power. The power of prayer. 
Prayer is a great power that is at your disposal. And we could go into many, many sermons on prayer. But may I say, we're not talking about selfish, ungodly, fleshly, begging it, Lord, give me the new Mercedes and the mansion on the hilltop in this life. We're talking about walking with God, your desires being his desires. No sin being between you. He's there. He's ready to hear. He's ready to answer. He's there to help you through whatever it is. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. It doesn't mean that some of them may be tough problems. These are pretty tough things these people were going through here. The power of prayer is at work, and it's at your disposal. And I give you this in closing this morning. We sang about it earlier. We sang about it in a couple of the songs and the hymns that we sang. The power of Christ and his word. It was Jesus Christ that spoke those words, arise and come forth. And he did. Arise. It says that he came and touched the briar, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. I've heard it said before. You know, when Jesus called on Lazarus, when he calls on this young man, he had to be careful. He said, young man, you, arise. <laughs> if he just said, arise, all the graves might have emptied themselves. <laughs> That's the power in the words of Jesus Christ. Oh, he had compassion. He stopped this funeral possession, and he commanded that young man to rise. His power is shown in his presence. You know, when Jesus appeared, <laughs> the demons fled. That, why, they were happy to go drown themselves. <laughs> the power of his voice. He speaks, and, and the seas obey. He went to the temple. And the people quavered at, wow, they'd never heard or seen anything like this before. The power of his hands, just as we see here, touching and healing and raising the dead. His power is even greater now. Whoa, he's all powerful. Maybe I should say his power is even more at your disposal now. Because now, in the age that we live, he lives and dwells within each of us. That's why he said, greater works than these shall you do because I go unto the Father, because I'm going to do them through you and you and you and you and you, not just one body, but all of you. You see, he has the power, as we've already read, to turn death into life, to take you and move you from death unto life. In John chapter 5, I give you one closing passage this morning. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. You can't separate God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. Whereas the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, makes them alive. Even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. 
For the, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. It's appointed a man once to die, after this, the judgment. Jesus is the one that we will all stand before. That all men should honor his Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. You can't on the one hand say, I believe in God and I honor God, and not give Jesus Christ his rightful place as the Son of God, as God incarnate. He says, verily, verily, verse 24, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. You don't have to worry about that, that judgment that comes after death. It's going to be a glorious thing, not a bad thing. He says, but his past from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You see, this message this morning is not meant to be one to point a finger of condemnation. It's meant to be one that I can't. Nobody knows what you'll face in the year ahead. There are great powers that will be at work in your life. And I don't know what all will be there. But we see some at work here. The power of death will undoubtedly touch you in some way. But the power of love is there to get you through. God's love. God's love for you and in turn your love for others. A love that shows forth itself in compassion. A love that cares. A love that acts. A love that does something. The power of prayer. Calling upon God. He is there. He'll do what you can't even know or imagine. Trust him. Believe him. Know that he's there. The power. And of course, the final one, the power of Christ and his word. The power of Christ in your life. Friend, we will all face death. It is appointed unto man once to die. We can't move away from it. We can't get away from it. It's coming. But the Bible says one day, just as this young man heard the voice of Jesus after he was dead and was ready to be buried, Jesus said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he rose and started talking, praise God. We just read in Scripture that one day, everybody in all those graves will hear the voice of Jesus. They will come out of those deaths. We all face death. But does death have the power over your life for eternity? Or have you been passed from death unto life? When Jesus calls you forth, will it be to the second death? Or will it be to live eternally? What's, what's the old saying? How is it it goes? You can be born twice and only die once. Well, you can be born once 
and die twice. That's our option. We all live and we all die. But it takes the second birth to avoid the second death because death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. You can avoid that death. You can be passed from that death unto life through Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and if you don't know Jesus Christ, then my prayer for you, I, I, don't, I don't condemn you. I love you. I want you to know Jesus the way that I do. I want you to have that life that only he can give you. I don't know what you'll face in this coming year, but I want you to face it with Jesus. You're surely going to have some hard times, some tough times, some things you may not understand, but I want Jesus to be there with you. And if you're here, Christian, you may be going through some tough things right now, some things you don't understand, but I'm saying to you, all these powers, and you better believe the powers of darkness, death, Satan, whatever you want to come, they're going to be coming against you. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Father, I thank you this morning. And Lord, I guess one of the hard things for me sometimes is to know that, Father, there are human beings here today, and so therefore there are needs here today. And you know the needs, and I don't. But Father, my fear of one leaving here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior the fear that maybe somehow I've missed your word or your prompting and I haven't said something that I should or, Lord, I wish that if I could just go on until that person would accept. But, Lord, that's not what's going to move anybody today. The truth has been getting. All have seen and come short of the glory of God. 